Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fuse Show. I'm joined today by my guest, Martin Rufo. Uh, Martin is an operations leader at Creative X, and he is ex-Uber, ex-Amazon, uh, a writer in his own right, has lots of, of great wisdom and experience to share. So we're going to have a, a fun conversation, no doubt, here today. So thanks for, the, thanks for joining us, Martin. No, thank you, Jim. And thanks for having me on the show and uh, the, the generous compliments. We'll, we'll say <laughs> writer is uh, a, maybe a little too generous. Okay, well, well, we'll get into that. So, yeah, the, the the piece that I have in front of me, I think, is is really useful. So, but we'll we'll, we'll get into that. So, tell me, give me a, an idea in our listeners, an idea of what uh, Creative X does. And I, I looked at the site, but I, I generally love for my guests to explain, as if nobody has ever heard of it, what what you guys do. Sure. Uh, you know, not enough people have heard of it, so I'm, I'm more than happy to talk to it. Anytime. Fair enough. Uh, so a little bit about us. So CreativeX is used by uh, mostly Fortune 500 B2C brands, uh, the Unilever, the Pepsi, the Heineken, um, GSKs of the world, etc. cetera. Uh, what they've realized is the way they communicate is predominantly through the usage of images and videos. They're producing more visual content than they basically ever have before. And what they realize in the process of creating more and more content for social, for Facebook, for Instagram, for YouTube, et cetera, they had no way to actually measure, analyze, govern anything they were actually building. And you can imagine when you're working with these companies, there's people all across the world creating content that they really aren't tracking at a global scale. I so see. what we've done is built technology to manage this, uh, help customers combine their performance data to better understand how creative decisions, uh, the usage of this visual content is actually impacting sales, marketing performance, et cetera. Interesting. Well, I can see how that would be very useful, especially at scale. Yeah, yeah. At, at the end of the day, uh, when we work with a customer like Unilever and they have uh, individual agencies that you know their head of marketing has never heard of working in Indonesia or Paraguay and producing content for their Facebook ads that are reaching millions of people it impacts so much and they have no way they had no way of tracking it and hopefully we're helping solve that for uh, many customers today that's awesome so what is your role in the company sure so uh, I liken myself to a little bit of a, a potpourri of okay. uh, so a little bit about myself. I was originally uh, brought on to lead our product operations team. Uh, product operations has everything to do with customer experience and onboarding our specific customers. But uh, as you and many of your guests uh, on the show previously uh, know, there's so many challenges in a series A seri uh, early startup that yeah. you know no one's really thought about. So. What I've come in and done is uh, started with the first team product operations, built up processes, built up frameworks for how to make decisions, and then started to do that for many of our other teams. Uh, I came into customer success after that. Uh, in the past six, eight months, took on our people operations, everything related to HR, recruiting, uh, strategy and operations, that's everything, pricing, analytics, data, uh, and most recently legal, which is you know not really my forte, but uh, it's exciting it's stuff, man. It, it's basically everything from uh, except ordering the toilet paper at the office if, if we ever get back there. <laughs> okay, got it. So I'm curious. I, I just had a thought. 
something that we do at our company is is build frameworks for support, customer success, et cetera. What are your thoughts on adoption by the team? So you come in with outside eyes, you think, gosh, I, I could optimize this uh, process or you know build this process or optimize this process, but in order for it to be effective at scale, you need adoption, you need buy-in from the team. It's like, what are your tactics to I guess, just even go about that? No, absolutely. I think this change management is something that's very underrated uh, as a skill or as a tactic uh, that a company has to go through. Uh, for me, when I come into a new organization and new team, immediately I'm, I'm thinking, this is a problem, this is a problem, this is a problem. Without ever understanding the, the why something is the way it is. Why was it set that way? And I think the, the most important to actually effectively manage change management and implementing a new process or a new framework is getting the input of folks that are currently in the role and understanding why they do the thing they do. Uh, if, if you don't do that, you don't really understand, hey, this is actually some legacy process that our previous technology never uh, solved for. Or, you know what, I've never actually taken a step back to think critically, why am I doing this way? And yeah. once they realize that and they learn that for themselves, then you can come in and say, hey, here's this better way of doing it. I've personally been very heavy handed sometimes in doing that. And that is the time when things are rejected the most. I'm sure you've yeah. seen that. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm reminded of this uh, Netflix show. I wish I could attribute it properly, but my wife and I were watching it and it was a social experiment. And there was a waiting room, like at a doctor's office or something. And there were several actors and actresses sort of planted in the room. And every time a tone went off, they would stand up. No explanation. Just it's as if you and I were actors in the room, a tone goes off, you and I stand up. So people start coming in and they're, you know, they're sitting down and they're looking around. You and I stand up at the tone and then we sit down and pretty soon they start doing the same. Well, what they what they did to further this experiment is eventually the people that actually knew what was going on, so like you and I, would leave the room. And at some point, there was a room full of people, and nobody knew why they were standing up at the tone. They just did so. And, and like my observation has been in some companies, and I think you, you pointed to this, is that like people do things that they've always done, and they don't know why, and those were instituted by previous generations of staff. And they're nonsensical at this point, but they don't know why they do them. They just keep doing them. Absolutely. And I think the thing is, if, if no one comes in to actually think critically, you're going to keep doing those things. So I think that's the importance of bringing in a fresh set of eyes, bringing in folks that are going to challenge you on the way you do things uh, to, to actually grow a business. I think for us, one of the, the ways that we've actually incorporated this is in our values themselves uh, at, at CreativeX. One of the, the ones that I, I love, and uh, maybe it's pulled from my experiences at Uber and Amazon as well, is the idea of encouraging constructive dissent. Uh, okay. And you know, in, in other companies I've been at, dissent has been something that's a little bit uh, divisive, to, to say <laughs> the least. Uh, but, but I think the way that we've implemented it here at CreativeX is the idea of pushing back on an idea is actually encouraged. We want people to come in and say, hey, why are you doing this this way? Or, hey, this doesn't seem right because no one at our company should be above uh, another. And everyone at the end of the day has the company's best interests at heart. And I love, mm. I love how we've implemented that. Mm. That's really great. Yeah, that can be so challenging. 
I one of my previous roles before we founded the company that we work at now. And by the way, my my co-founder David Tran is a former senior engineer at Uber out of the mm-hmm. the Bay Area. So he he spent several years there. Um, so I thought it was neat to see that you had that experience as well um, in the past. Uh, but anyway, so in in my background, I worked um, in sort of operations leadership and uh, in the acquisition side of a private equity firm, and we would buy multiple SaaS businesses. And, and I came to realize there's this very unique opportunity when you when you see the prospectus and go in and evaluate a business, you know, decide whether or not we should acquire it or make an offer on it. You really can see the forest where a lot of the the founders can't see the forest for the trees. And that happens, I think, to all of us. And there's this precious time period where you can come in with what I like to call outside eyes and like see those things that are inefficient and, and find those processes that are archaic, et cetera, and actually make some useful suggestions on, on how to go about or consider changing those things, you know? Absolutely. Uh, I totally agree. I think uh, anytime you come into a, a new organization, it's, it, it is refreshing to have that. Or anytime you bring on a new person as they're going through onboarding, having that perspective is, is refreshing, even for me who's been at the company for less than a year. Or more, a little bit more than a year. Excuse me. Okay. I, you know what? What what I have to constantly remind myself of is that I value this from the perspective of of having done it myself. But I also want to remember to value it in in the position I'm in now. So our our business is a little over a year old, and I'm slowly becoming unable. I fear that I'm slowly becoming unable to see the the, the forest because I'm so focused on the trees. And I have to constantly check my pride to allow for the dissenting opinions and, you know, check my pride at the door and be like, you know what, maybe this isn't the best that, you know, this is just the way we started doing it as a startup because we needed to get it done. Maybe there's a better way. So what would you say to that? The idea of the importance of humility in this process? No, I I think it's, it's something that is necessary. Um, The, the idea of ego, especially as, as a, a leader within a startup, is only going to inhibit your growth long term. If you can't mm-hmm. admit, hey, this is wrong, this is not the right way of doing things, then why did you bring in all of these smart people? Why did you do all of this yeah. work to set time to get differing opinions if you're not going to accept them anyway? Yeah, uh, it seems foolish, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I think uh, you know, David might say the same, but uh, it was 2018 Uber uh, right in the midst of a lot of change where uh, Ariana Huffington came in and spoke at one of our all hands and said, the, the era of brilliant jerks is over. Mm. And it's something that stuck with me for a long time, three, three years later, four, three and a half years later. Uh, yeah. It is not enough just to have smart people anymore. You need people that want to work with each other, who want to accept the ideas of another person. Uh, and it's the only way that that egoless way of uh, mindset is the, the way forward. Yeah, yeah. And there's something to said to be said about building a culture where that you know where a dissenting opinion is encouraged and even expected. And that's something that, that we're really focusing on at Xfusion, our, our primary business is, and you know what, this, and a whole other part of this conversation is the, the cultural challenges. So we have a, a significant portion of our team from Kenya and from the Philippines and some from Mexico as well in the United States. And, and we've had to learn that culturally there are some challenges in, I don't know how they would refer to it, you know, sort of 
talking up back to authority or like standing up to authority. It was like, I, it's, it's very, it's been a work in progress for a very long period of time to get our leadership team based in these other countries to speak up. And they do now. And it's beautiful to watch, but like, man, it's just like pulling them out of their comfort zone to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something you faced in particular at, at creative X or, you know, previous orgs or no? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I think when you're working with people of, of different backgrounds, even different, uh, career and different, uh, work, work-life backgrounds, it is absolutely prevalent. Uh, I think the thing that I've noticed most actually is the way that our UK team is very different than the way that our US team operates uh, in terms of how they interact with uh, other people. And, Mm. you know, certain stereotypes often hold true where our UK team is very, very polite, absolutely polite, where our US team is a little bit more straightforward. Uh, And navigating those cultural differences and backgrounds is is something that every organization has to go through. Uh, something that I've actually loved and tried to implement within certain team meetings of my own is the idea of always having a, a dedicated devil's advocate. Okay. Someone in a meeting to say, I'm going to push back on basically every single idea. <laughs> okay. And say, Interesting. Are, we, are we sure about that? Or how did we come to that conclusion? Uh, and the idea behind that is that just becomes part of every single person's mentality. That becomes part of how they do their day-to-day work, regardless if they're going to be the devil's advocate in that meeting or not. Uh, It works to varying degrees and it definitely takes time, but setting that framework and setting at least the sandbox so that people Mm -hmm. feel comfortable pushing back was one of the things that I found most valuable. Okay, let, let me let me play the not to be too cutesy here, but let me play the devil's advocate to your devil's advocate um, idea. So so how do you handle because I'm thinking I, I agree, by the way, but I would say that, you know, there are some people that maybe have rather sensitive egos who are offended by that. You know, they've worked hard on this idea. They present it. Someone's playing that role, pushing back on the idea, punching holes in it. So how do you go about handling that scenario where you have someone offended because of this pushback? No, I think that's absolutely fair. And I think that's the value of having one person be the dedicated and everyone knowing who the dedicated person is. So it's the the thing about uh, this type of work and really any type of criticism within a meeting, it should never be personal. It should never be, hey, this is bad because you did a bad job. It is, hey, I want to understand how we thought about this. I wonder, want to understand mm-hmm. how we could do this even better in the future. Uh, when, yeah. when you set those parameters and you know, have that dedicated person, uh, people that are presenting an idea will much more quickly incorporate that feedback and not internalize it as a personal attack. That makes sense. Yeah, that's helpful. All right, let's, let's change gears real quick. Sure. So three years, according to LinkedIn, three years, one month at Uber. And then next up is eight month backpacking sabbatical, Western Europe, Eastern and Southeastern Asia. Tell me about that. Sure. So uh, the, the, the joke about Uber uh, for a lot of people is one year at Uber is you know three years anywhere else. So you know, three years at Uber is nine years anywhere else. And that is a 
uh, a very long time, and I've wore a bunch of different hats when I, uh, during my time there. So I felt, you know, I needed a little bit of a break. I needed to reset and understand, hey, what am I looking for next? What are the skills? What are the, uh, the experiences that I look for as I progress further into my career and further into my, my personal journey. And, you know, the, the best way to do that for me was to take the time to travel. And uh, lucky, luckily enough, it was, you know, pre-COVID, thank, thankfully. So I was able mm-hmm. to actually have that journey. And uh, for, for me, it was an, uh, a time of exploration and just meeting new people, understanding why people do things. I, I love the idea of anthropology and the, the, the understanding mm-hmm. of how people uh, and how cultures interact with each other. So I spent three months in Europe and then about five months in Asia uh, where I was exploring a, basically a new city every four and a half days and meeting wow. people within a city, meeting people uh, and sitting down with them, going to coffee shops and trying to just meet locals to, to understand. Uh, for, for me, that was an experience of self-learning and just uh, ability to uh, really put myself out there that I hadn't had any time else in my life uh, and hmm. ultimately helped me center around what I was looking for for my next step in my career as well. So what were the greatest lessons then that you took away from that on a, on a personal level? Sure. So some of the lessons uh, when it comes down to it, ultimately from, from a career perspective, uh, I think I spent a lot of time just reading and a lot of time reading books from uh, from founders and from people that have built massive corporations. And uh, I knew that my next step, I didn't want to join another massive company. I knew I didn't want to join another Uber, another Amazon. Well, I love the experiences I had there. What I was actually looking for and what I learned on this trip is the idea of building from the ground up excites me more than anything else. And I was able to find that here at Creative X. Uh, I alluded to it a little bit, but uh, I, I do a little bit of potpourri within our company. It's, it's just a little bit of everything. Uh, but when I first applied to the company, it was for just some random marketing role. I said, hey, what you guys are doing here at Creative X is interesting. Let's just figure out what the best fit for me is. Mm-hmm. And you know, when uh, I came into Creative X and I started meeting the, the team and met Anastasia, uh, the other learning I had was the, the team that I joined is so important. The, the founder and the, the people that I work with yeah. is gonna be the most important thing or one of the most important things outside of just coming in and building something exciting. Uh, mm-hmm. We spend, you know, upwards of 50 hours a week talking to these people. So you have to enjoy the time you have there. Uh, I, I think the last learning outside of building and the, the team is just the idea of the, the work you put in should feel like the work you put out or the, the, the outcome out. Uh, and being able to see that in your career was so important to me personally. And finding uh, a place where I could do that, finding a place where, you know what, we didn't even have uh, an applicant tracking system, an ATS software. So being able to do that, instantaneous feedback, or you know, uh, implementing a process that no one else has ever thought of was really exciting for me. And I feel hmm. like these are the core beliefs that I'm always gonna have uh, 
whether it's at Creative X or any other journey that I, uh, I take in the future as well. That's very interesting. So you felt like you didn't have, you didn't have that at Uber and at Amazon. In other words, the, what would be the right way to phrase it? Like the, where you could see the fruits of your labor directly. Is that, is that fair to say? I think, uh, I think yes, especially at, towards the end of the, the time at Uber, uh, and definitely my time at Amazon. Uh, don't get me wrong. I love the, the, them as places to work, but they're behemoths. By the time True. I left Uber, it was 15,000 people. When I, when I first joined, it was a few thousand and it still felt like you knew basically everyone in the company. Hmm. Uh, most of the people that I know actually aren't, aren't even there anymore. So it's, it's a very different uh, ability to make an impact. And you know it happens at a micro level, but those macro levels definitely aren't, aren't there anymore. Uh, I when see. you're talking about millions of trips uh, per week in a city. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's weird, like, I guess kind of segueing to the, the idea of online work. I, <laughs> I I regularly experience, like, everything we do is just right here in this in this computer screen. And there's no physical manifestation of my work. And I remember a few years ago, I, I volunteered to mow the yard, like, the, the property at our church. And it, like, there was ball fields. Like, it was, a, it was a, a, a rather large property. And I used a, you know, riding mower to mow it. And, like... I found that so satisfying because I could see the fruit of my labor. I'm like, this looks good and it's physical and I can see it. And I just like, I think most of us now I get, maybe, maybe there's some exceptions with creatives uh, where they're producing something, but like most of what I do and build, it's not, it's non-physical. It's not, it's like hard to see. It's not, I don't know. You know what I'm getting at there? Like getting that sense of accomplishment from the work that you created. No, absolutely. Uh, and you know, I actually think that's why, especially in this time of COVID, especially in the time of you know, work from home, we need to put that outlet maybe somewhere else. So I think that basically everyone I know hmm. picked up some new skill set, uh, bread baking, yeah. uh, you know, cooking, <laughs> an instrument, a language. That's another thing. Cook cooking is a good example. Exactly. And those are the yeah. things where, hey, maybe if you're not seeing on your day to day, you can find that joy. Otherwise, it's not. It's no fun living a, a joyless life. It's no fun not yeah. seeing the the time that you uh, put in to, to produce something great. Yeah. Now I'm curious if you could snap your fingers and have it any way you want in terms of your your work world. Would you prefer an in office environment uh, at home or some sort of a hybrid model? Uh, snapping my fingers, I would love a hybrid model. Uh, okay, and how would that look? Sure. So I, I've been doing a lot of thinking about this with our CA, CEO Anastasia and our CFO Mike about what the future of work looks like. And uh, we've, we've done a ton of surveys with the team and tried to understand, you know, what is actually the future of work, work look like for everyone uh, or what did they want it to look like as well. But speaking to, my, to me personally, I've never been the type that has needed to be in an office for the sake of being in an office. And it's the same thing that I've always told to my teams as well. I don't need to see you. I don't, the idea of FaceTime is not a thing that I need. The, the work product and what you actually put out is actively the, the thing that we, we think about when it comes to productivity and the thing that it comes to success here at our company today. Yeah. Um, so my ideal is, you know, 
we only go into the time, uh, office times when we actually need to, whether or not that's an office that we specifically have or some type of co-working space. Because there is, there are times today where I say, hey, it is actually, it would be super beneficial if we could just whiteboard this out because, you know, Zoom whiteboards, not great. Envision does yeah. an okay <laughs> yeah. job. Google Meet whiteboards, not great. But I would just love someone to bounce these ideas off of, put yeah. all of this to paper. I also recognize that for some of our sales teams, they need the office. They need to bring in our customers. So we need something where, hey, if we have a customer meeting, they can come in, they can meet our tech teams, they can meet our uh, their commercial teams so that they can have that. But for the most part, we've really noticed that productivity has not dropped off. Work satisfaction mm -hmm. has actually increased because people don't have the commutes, uh, especially here in New York where people, you know, yeah. opt to move out a little further so they're not in a box, a uh, box of an apartment. Sure. Uh, yeah. They gain so much more satisfaction out of that. I think those, those yeah. are the types of things that I think about when uh, thinking about the future of work. How do you manage the, the personal side of it? And I know this is independent on the person or dependent on the person, but I, I, I love in-person connection, socialization. Now I will I will say there's, there's a point where, so I, I went um, on a, a business trip to Vegas a couple weeks ago with, with a colleague. And this is somebody that I've known personally for years mm -hmm. and, and I really enjoy his company. But when it came to the actual work we were doing there, I had just gotten so used to like you and I have a conversation when it's done, it's done, right? We, right. we close the recording software. It's like, it's over. You're not still in my office. So like if we were in office together, we're having a conversation I'm like, okay, I'm going to start working on this five minutes later. You're like, Hey Jim, what'd you think about this? Or what'd you think about the, you know, the game last night? Or I was like, well, it was cool, man. I was like, it was good. And like, okay, I'm going to go back to work on this. Like there's that interruption. And yeah. I felt myself conflicted because I love the, the personal connection. I love the conversations, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm used to being able to concentrate, you know, yeah. on my work and it just wasn't the same. No, absolutely. Uh, the, the, the thing that I think about is I love the, the water cooler chat. I actually mm -hmm. think some of the best ideas that the team has ever produced has come from those types of things from, from the, the casual, the informal, you know, or if you're at the office late yeah. night having dinner, it's just, hey, what about this? I really, truly believe that those ideas and those times are so valuable. But you're, you're, mm -hmm. you're putting in something or you're honing in on something really interesting. It's the idea of flow. The, the ability yeah. to get actually into deep work has been so undervalued in the traditional office setting where people really aren't able to think critically because they're constantly getting interrupted. It's actually one of the, the main arguments against the idea of open offices, which every startup ever or every startup recently has adopted. But, you know, the, the ideas of cubicles existed because people were able to get to those times and, you know, have the space outside of those to get into flow. Uh, yeah. So it's definitely a conflict. Uh, I think the other thing is when you're in a, uh, a pit with a bunch of other people and you're, you're back to back with yeah, your coworkers, there is a certain level of camaraderie and trust that comes from that, that isn't yeah. really developed in this time where everyone is remote, which is why I think actively getting back into the office, you know, maybe one or two times a week specifically as necessary can hopefully rebuild some of that. 
Uh, sure. Especially in a time where we're onboarding so many people that have never met another person at the office. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to that point, I would also say that I, I think there's value in having like whatever we call it, company sabbaticals or meetups or whatever. So for a fully remote company to once or twice a year meet up with the entire staff, because there is something like if you and I meet in person, there's just something that's like different the next time we meet online, because I know the full essence of you more than what I can garner from this, you know, video chat. You know what I'm saying? Like there's just something different about that. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's a level of almost, uh, Accountability is the wrong word, but I'm going to use that for, for now. Uh, but right now, if we were working together, you're just, you're just a face on a screen. But if right. you know, we met in person, we shook hands, and you know, we had a coffee together in person, there is a different level of relationship building that is just yeah. uh, that, that videos can't replace just yet. Yeah, yeah. It, it really is hard to capture that or, or hard to describe that, but I think we all understand it and can feel it, you know? Right. I think about this right now where, uh, in previous, uh, previous offices I was in, could I just tap someone on the shoulder and interrupt them and just say, Hey, what, uh, give me some thoughts on this or just, you know, call out to them. Could I do the same thing over Slack in a non-intrusive way today without saying, excuse me, can we just take five seconds? Don't, don't non-urgent, blah, blah, blah. I, yeah. I think that level just isn't replaceable just yet. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So spring of 2018, you wrote an article that I see here on LinkedIn called the process Uber in my next chapter. It's a short article, but there's some really good things here. And you talk about the 76ers and the, specifically the, this quote from Sam Hinkey. And he says, we talk a lot about process, not outcome and trying to consistently take all the best information you can and consistently make good decisions. Sometimes they work and sometimes they don't, but you reevaluate them all. And I, I'm curious, I'm curious what trust the process means to you and what you, what you take out of that, that quote and just, I guess the ethos that he's talking about. Sure. So, uh, anyone closely in my network knows that I, I love basketball. It's why I write these, these parody type articles. I have another <laughs> one. It's an MJ, uh, return to the workplace after my sabbatical type article. Uh, by the way, did you see that, that Netflix, uh, mini doc series on Michael Jordan? The last dance phenomenal. So good. So I thought it was great too. Yeah. It's interesting to hear about how people think. Uh, but it's exactly totally. that. It's, it's about how people think about things. Why, why I personally became a 76ers fan. Um, so a, a coin that was termed in basketball, uh, in 2000, maybe 2013, 2014 was the idea of trust the process. The, before that point, the Philadelphia 76ers were a middling team. It, you know, they got to the playoffs sometimes they really didn't do very well outside of one or two instances, uh, basically since the 80s. Uh, Sam Hinkie comes in and says, hey, we're going to turn everything on its head. We're going to gut every asset for future assets so we can have the highest potential for success. Um, using analytics, using the idea of finding diamonds in the rough. For 76ers fans everywhere, it was very divisive. For basketball fans, hated it. Uh, the, the idea of putting out a bad team purposefully for long-term traffic, <laughs> uh, inconceivable. One well-received. 
Yeah. <laughs> definitely not well received. Uh, but you know, for, for me personally, in terms of trust the process, this has always been something that I have tried to internalize from my working perspective. Uh, I have to recognize that I'm going to make many mistakes over the course of my career. I made plenty. Uh, I have to recognize that, you know, there's going to be setbacks no matter what I do. I can do every single thing right and every single thing in my control and still not get the outcome I want because there's so much outside of my control. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think about this in terms of Creative X. We could perfectly market. We could, you know, build the best product ever, but for some reason it doesn't stick and, you know, not have uh, the outcome we want for a specific customer. That doesn't mean, you know, we did anything wrong. It doesn't mean the product is bad. It just means we need to take the learning. We need to recycle this. Uh, and we need to put bet, uh, put forth with more data, a better outcome next time or better process next time in term, uh, so that we can hopefully get the product we want. Uh, th there's this idea of, uh, Bayesian pro uh, probability, where you're only doing the best to increase your odds of success because to actually produce outcome, you need 100% certainty. And in our world, that is never happening, virtually right. never happening. So the for me, trusting the process is doing the best you can every single day, taking the inputs and taking the learnings so that, you know, hopefully you get the outcome you want. Dude, that is so my theme song. Yeah, I love it. I, one of the things that, that has occurred to me, and I, I talk about this pretty often, is that I feel like generally um, when we're disappointed, it's because of unmet expectations. Right. And that makes me, makes me evaluate those. Like, well, were they ever realistic to begin with? And I don't, I'm curious to hear how far you take this because I'm not a fan of setting goals generally because in specific, I guess we can keep, we don't have to keep it on the context of business, but right now I'm, I'm talking about that context is like there, to your point, there are so many things outside of our control. Um, and maybe, maybe you could say micro goals where it's like, like you said, like my, what I preach all the time is like, uh, we need to show up each day, do our very best each day and, you know, do our best to, to decide what is the next right thing to do and do that with all of our heart. And also balancing all of our other responsibilities. I mean, I have five kids and like I, I have a life outside of work, which makes it even more important. It's like, I don't have 12 hours a day to do this. I have to get this done in a window of time. I have to be so diligent in picking what is the highest and best use of my time. Mm -hmm. But like, how, what would you say to the idea of, you know, setting expectations, goals versus just being very focused on the micro level? I mean, how do you, how do you balance that? I, I think it's, it's always constant conflict. Everybody likes success. That's, that's a given. Everyone sure. likes getting the outcome they want. Uh, right. And, you know, setting general goals and setting, you know, your ideal outcome is never a bad thing, in, in my opinion. Just setting, like, okay. generally how would I love this to play out? How would I like my life to generally play out is, is really great. Where that gets toxic is where you are constantly obsessing over the idea that if I don't get this specific thing, I don't get this specific outcome, then I myself am a failure. Failure as I a see. worker or in your, uh, in your example, mm -hmm. failure as a, uh, as a parent or failure as anything in your world. But the thing is, just like we talked about, 
there are millions of different things competing with the specific interest and the specific process that we're trying to uh, portray for ourselves and trying to execute for ourselves. That you know, if I think today I have control over seventy five percent of the outcome, in reality, maybe that's actually ten percent, and we'll never yeah. know. <laughs> so true. Yeah. Man, that's just so, it's so fascinating to me. I, there was a paradigm shifting moment. I was listening to a podcast and I don't remember who it was, but it was talking about the idea of, you know, venture capital and, and, uh, VCs funding startups and, you know, backing founders and this idea that, you know, there are multiple occasions where the business is, is not successful and it fails by all accounts, but then that same VC will back that same founder again on another venture. I'm like, dang, like that's a great testimony to the idea that it, it wasn't the founder, that there are things outside of their control. In fact, the significant majority, I would argue, is outside of their control. I just, I don't know, I, I guess I, I hadn't seen it that way, but that was really paradigm shifting for me. Yeah, I, I think it's entirely true. Um, there, there's a book that I've been uh, I've read and I've recommended to basically everyone. Uh, it's hard thing about hard things. And he, he talks about uh, the, yeah. the, the dot-com bubble and the idea that, you know, you could have built the perfect product, but if it was six months too late, you're doomed, you know? Uh, it was specifically under the context of Netscape and how they were the uh -huh. first within the internet. But, you know, six yeah. months later, AOL came in, took their basic playbook and did everything over again. And, you know, they it was no failing on their own. They tried to do everything within their control to build exactly what they wanted. It's just someone did it a little faster, a little bit quicker. Uh, and no, fear. yeah, it's definitely. Yeah. I, I think the same can be applied to, you know, market and, and market size as well. There, I, I read an article recently that Corey Haynes had shared. Um, he's one of my, my buddies and a, a really amazing marketer. And the, the story was written by the founder of Gumroad. Oh, I wish I could remember his name. It's not in front of me right now, but anyway, he was talking about, it was, you know, like a venture backed startup and he had billion dollar aspirations and it just didn't play out that way. And basically I'd, for those not familiar, they provide, um, I guess a platform for creatives to use, to charge for their creative products. And they, they, um, have been really successful in the sense that a lot of creative creatives use their, their platform. But what he, what he basically said is we underestimated, I'm sorry, we overestimated how large the market was. We were capped because of the size of the market. And I think that's so relevant too. It's like, uh, we've been fortunate. It's, uh, like our primary business is providing outsourced customer support, customer success to startups. That's what we do. And we started off right at the beginning of COVID. And like, and I left a full-time secure job. My wife is like, you're crazy. You know, like, what, what are you doing? And, and she, she's been supportive. Like once I jumped out, she's like, okay, I'm in with you. But like, it was scary, but actually, and this is so weird to talk about because like so many people have been so negatively impacted by COVID. But in some industries, my daughter and I were talking last night, like, you know, DoorDash is one of them. But some industries have just expanded because the market has expanded. So like in our world, more and more people went remote. Once they're remote, they're open to the idea of having a conversation about outsourcing because they're just one step closer. So the point is the market just like expanded yeah. and continues to expand versus in an opposite world, it could have constricted. And they were like, oh, dang, like the market is constricting. There's already all these players, et cetera. So I just think that's an important thing to consider in the startup space. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I think about the idea of Vine, the social media platform from a few years ago. 
how, yeah. how TikTok is basically a reskinning of it. It's just, you know, Vine couldn't figure out a way to monetize. And it was just a product of the time and how people were interacting with social and the idea that that couldn't, it didn't, port, uh, it didn't work at that specific time. Uh, I, I think similarly for, for Creative X right now, uh, it is also a weird thing to say, but uh, we work in the, the world of creatives and the work of advertising as it relates to Facebook and Instagram, et cetera. And, you know, Fortune 500 companies are building more content because people are on their phones at home more than they ever have been. Sure. In yeah. between a meeting, they're going to pull up Instagram. Uh, yeah. And that's just the fact of the, the world it, it is right now. The market could, you're right, boom or, or bust for no fault of their own. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the last topic I want to talk about, Martin, is this idea of playing the long-term game. And, and you alluded to this a bit in that article, um, you know, long-term investments win over short-term gains. I'm curious, it's obviously, it sounds like you're a believer in that. And I'm curious how you apply that in, in both your professional and, and personal life. Sure. So I, I think the, the most recent example of this is uh, related to, to you know, team decisions. So I told you uh, we have to, uh, I, I do a bit of everything, but some of my world right now is related to people operations and, and talent strategy. Uh, we've grown significantly as a team over the past year here at Creative X. We've gone from, uh, I believe it was around 20 to next month we're hitting around 50. Uh, so just within a year adding 100% more people. Uh, yeah. The thing about that is we've been meticulous about the next person we bring into the company because we know right now our teams are feeling a little bit strapped. They're feeling as our customers have grown, actually there's more and more pressure from each of these. Mm -hmm. But the idea of just adding another person today, just adding someone for the sake of increasing bandwidth is, not, is a short-term game, not a long-term investment. Uh, I think especially in a, in a startup our size and moving from series A to potentially a series B in uh, next few months, the potential of the team today and the team you build today is going to so heavily impact the next team you bring in, so heavily yeah. impact the way you make decisions. So even though I might work a little bit longer a specific night and, and, or, or the team might feel, hey, this customer is not getting exactly the, the attention they need. We recognize that the putting in the time to make sure that we're getting the perfect or as close to the perfect person is way better than just getting someone who is going to fill a seat. Uh, and those are the types of things that manifest itself, uh, not just in your career, but in, in your personal life as well. So how do you play that out in, in your career? I mean, it's like, it, it's a balance between like, in, in my past, I feel like I have jumped ship too soon in some cases and have started over. I mean, I have like, like I've done lots of things in my professional past, including I was a, a crimes against children detective for five years. Like I've done a lot of things in the business world and outside of, and it, what's been interesting is like the pro of that is 
I apply the lessons learned in all these different contexts to what I do now. And it's been kind of a rich experience to be able to do that. That said, I've sort of started over a lot of times. So there's the downside as well. And I, I don't know if you're familiar with the meme. I, I bring it up on occasion, but like there's this meme where this guy is, is like digging a tunnel underground with a pick mm-hmm. and he's channeling through and he gets right to the edge of the diamonds yeah. and he stops and, and turns around. It's like, you were so close, you know, like there's that tipping point where compounding starts to take effect. It's like, I, you know, that's my fear is stopping too soon, but to play devil's advocate with myself, there's also the idea of going the wrong direction for too long you know, sunk cost fallacy, et cetera. So how do you, I mean, how do you balance those ideas? No, uh, I I think about the companies that I've left and the, you know, the potential stock that I've left and how (laughs) since I've left, it's, it's, uh, you know, makes me a little sad sometimes, but (laughs) that's fair. uh, Many, I'm sure many, many folks can say the same, but the, I think the thing is it's, it's exactly what we talked about before. We're making decisions with the best possible information set we have today mm-hmm. so that we can get the outcome we want in the future. As long as you properly dictate what you want, as long as you're aligning, what are the, the values? What are the things that are important to you? And are you getting those from your next experience, from your next anything? Mm-hmm. That is all you can do as an individual. The rest is up to chance, up to all of these other factors. When you come to peace with that, I think then you could say, at least I'm building the X, Y, Z traits, the experiences and the skills that I wanted, regardless of it got the original outcome had I gone the original path. And the other thing is, you're right, you could have gone down that other path and it could have led you not to diamonds, but, uh, you know, a little bit of dirt. Yeah. I'm glad you said that, you know, because there, there are like, I think of my, my past and I apply it to business. Like there's a lot that doesn't connect, but then I think like, like for example, the, the relationship, oh, what's the right word? The experience I had with relationships and the things that I learned being a detective are so deeply applicable. Like those, those principal issues, the principal factors that carry over from one thing to the next, mm-hmm. that just help you to be a more connected, I guess just generally a better human being. And that applies in every aspect. And I think like so often I think about like the, the corollaries of psychology and business and it's really just people. Like I hear, you know, founders sometimes will say like, Oh, it's, it's B2B. It's like, you know, it's like, no, no, yeah. Okay. But like you know, B2B sales, right? Like, no, it's still a, a human connecting mm-hmm. with another human, making a buying decision on a human level. It, like, it's just bigger dollar, like larger dollar amounts. That's the only difference. It's still humans interacting with humans. Right. W- would you still be able to, you know, input the value that you are able to now in your current ventures if you didn't have those experiences in the past yeah no, i mean no no question exactly. like and that's the beauty of it i guess it's like that's i guess that's the positive side of because i i stopped building equity in those careers but i guess that's not necessarily about it. it's weird though man because like i i see those lessons but at the same time i'm pretty staunch on wanting to stick stick with exfusion for a long period of time because like it's the type of business that that takes a good long while to build the relationships to, to have the returns you know maybe it's just a matter of season of life too like I, there that's a whole other factor as well to yeah. consider is like where are we at in our like my my novelty seeking days are not behind me but like i just have 
I just feel more stable in my life and have less, less of a desire than when I was in my 20s to seek novelty. It's, I don't know. It's just there's so many factors. Yeah, I, I think that's totally true, and especially as a family man such as yourself. Uh, I've, I've had mentors, though, that, you know, they, they reach a stage, especially when their kids are still at home, where, you know, that novelty factor is gone. But as soon as they're out and out of the house, they're back <laughs> yeah. on that. And, you know, it's, you're right. It's a season of that's, life. That's a good point. So who knows, yeah. uh, especially in our world right now, what the future of our startups might look like. It's just about optimizing for what we can today. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I, I had this sinking feeling on the way home the other day from the office. Two of, two of my girls are 14 and they're starting high school this fall. Mm-hmm. And I, it just suddenly hit me. It's like, they're going to be out of the house in just a snap of, of my fingers. I mean, it just goes so fast. I'm like, thing like i want to optimize for fatherhood right now like i this this window is is narrow and if i get to live to be you know normal life expectancy age 80 years old let's say i've got a long season after they leave the house it's like why not prioritize like i get that i have to put bread on the table like i I get that like there has to be a balance but i'm just saying like it just feels like it's not the, the the season of my life to make business my ultimate priority but to your point it's like dang you know, I'll be roughly 42, 43 years old when, when they leave the house. It's like, I could have a long season of focusing on these things, you know? So it's just, I don't know, it's paradigm shifting. Absolutely. And as long as you're building the skill sets that, you know, might prepare you for those types of things in the future, just like your, your previous experiences have, it's all going to, it's all going to be benefited, uh, beneficial. Yeah, for sure. Well, Martin, this has been fun. I want to be mindful of your time. You have just an incredible amount of wisdom to share, and I really appreciate you joining us. No, Jim, thank you for having me. It was, it was a great chat. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. So what's the best way for folks to find you if they want to reach out and say hello? Sure. So you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Martin Rufo, but also feel free to drop me a line. It's martin at creativex.com. Uh, more than happy to chat with anyone about you know, specifically creative X or anything that we talked about, or, you know, if you just want to talk about basketball, I'm, I'm there as well. 